Welcome to Let's Talk Sustainability, the Mazar podcast series that explores the evolving sustainability landscape for business. In each episode, we hear from experts on a range of environmental, social, and governance issues as they share best practices for building solid sustainability strategies and identified varied and valuable opportunities for business. Hello, everyone. We are here today with Maud Godry. Maud, could you please introduce yourself? Hello. Yes, uh, with pleasure. I'm Maud Godry. I'm a partner in uh, the sustainability service line in Mazar in Paris. Um, and I'm a technical expert in terms of uh, regulatory watch uh, on everything that relates with uh, non-financial information. So this is the second time that we speak about the CSRD. Could you please remind us what does it stand for and why do we need to come back to this topic? Very good question. So CSRD stands for Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. So it's all about uh, non-financial information. Um, and the reason why it's important that we talk ag again about it is because uh, what I explained in the first podcast was why it was interesting to have, uh, you know, such a piece of legislation in Europe to change things in the way we do report non-financial information. So it was about the context and the background and what to expect, not so much what was in the text and what it would take to actually implement it. This time around, um, the, we are at the end uh, of the process of adoption of uh, the directive, which is now close to being final. Uh, and I'm going to say what is in the final text, uh, what has changed or not changed since uh, the previous version that I commented in the first podcast, and, and what it's going to mean concretely for, uh, for everyone in scope. So concretely, what has just happened that we speak about this directive again? So we are at the end of the road. Um, back in, in 2021, when we uh, had that first discussion in the, in the first podcast, it was about a proposal by the European Commission. So it was a technical uh, proposal that had to go through the standard process of uh, political negotiations. And what happened end of June is the final political compromise Uh, agreed between the council and, and the parliament. So we now have a text that has been challenged by, uh, you know, the both, uh, the two bodies. Um, some changes have been uh, introduced. Uh, some pieces of the original proposition uh, have been uh, carved out and new ones have been uh, added. Uh, therefore, we know what we're going to have to live with uh, as soon as the, uh, the, the directive uh, comes, uh, comes into force. So it's we we are really at the end of uh, what could uh, you know impact uh, impact the text. Um, there's a final uh, plenary assembly of the parliament uh, within the next few days that will uh, definitely adopt uh, the text, and then it will be published uh, um, in the uh, official journal. And that's it. That's the beginning of uh, you know a new journey in terms of uh, non-financial reporting. Thank you, Maud. That's more clear now. Can you tell us more about this final text and the amendments that have been introduced? Yes, absolutely. First, I think I, I would like to say that we, I think we can be satisfied with this uh, compromise because there were a lot of discussions, uh, you know, trying to satisfy the expectations of a number of very different uh, stakeholders. So you never know, you know, on, on which side of the cone the final text is going to land. It's, it's, it's a robust uh, test. The initial law proposition uh, was already robust. There are no major changes or surprises. 
uh, all of the fundamentals uh, of the original proposition uh, have been confirmed. And the amendments that were made uh, are going to provide both precision on the substance and flexibility in terms of implementation. And, and I think that is, uh, is pretty good news. So very concretely, what's in there that is uh, important to know about? First, there's the confirmation that companies that are in scope, and I'll come back to the scope uh, in a minute, will have to publish a sustainability report that has to be prepared uh, according to European standards. We call them the ESRS, standing for European Sustainability Reporting Standards. I'm sorry, there's a lot of uh, acronyms uh, being used in the European environment, so uh, I will be using a few of them. And, and this one is an important one. So... European standards uh, that are prepared by EFRAG, which is uh, a European technical advisor to the European Commission uh, on, on that aspect. And those standards uh, prepared by EFRAG will be adopted by the Commission. It's important because there was and there has been a controversy uh, about the fact that um, there are ongoing international initiatives in terms of uh, standard setting. And there was that question out there. Should Europe use uh, its own European standards or use international standards that would be adopted more uh, broadly? So the deal is done. It's going to be European standards prepared by a FRAG adopted by the Commission. And those will cover all of the spectrums of uh, sustainability. So the ES and GE for environment, social and governance. And the purpose of those standards is to make sure that the, the non-financial information has the same level of quality and robustness and reliability as the um, what we know uh, dealing with financial uh, information. And that is really key to uh, fostering progress in terms of transparency and actual uh, concrete measures in terms of uh, reaching our global uh, and, and particularly in Europe sustainable development goals. This report will have to be uh, included in a dedicated section uh, of the uh, the annual report and the and the management report, and it will have to be available in a in a digital format for um, easiness of uh, sharing the uh, the information on on uh, a European system for um, exchange of financial and non financial information. It's kind of a bit technical. Uh, but basically, the point is the information uh, is aimed at covering a large spectrum of st uh, stakeholders, and therefore it has to be easily uh, accessible and uh, and, and uh, usable. Another important confirmation uh, uh, from the original proposal is the fact that the sustainability report will have to be audited. It's an obligation. It's not a choice left to the company. It can be audited either by the statutory auditor and here there's an option uh, left for member states uh, to consider is the possibility, so based on a member state decision, to allow an independent auditor that will have to be subject to same uh, certification at the statutory auditor to, to provide uh, assurance services on, uh, on this uh, report. Thank you, Maud. And how is it different from the initial proposal? Well, actually, none of what I just said is uh, any different from the original proposal, but but good point. On that particular uh, point of uh, assurance of the sustainability reports, there actually are two new amendments uh, being introduced in the final text. The first one is the possibility offered uh, for shareholders that will represent 5% uh, of the company's capital to table a resolution at the um, annual general meeting 
requesting that a third party that would be other than uh, the statutory auditor or the independent revisor um, assuring the um, the report uh, to issue an independent and, and different report on a specific part or on on a number of specific parts of uh, of the sustainability report. For example, the um, the part of the the report on dealing with transition plan is something that is very important for a number of stakeholders. Uh, they could uh, propose uh, that somebody else looks uh, at this particular part and provide a different uh, a different opinion. And that is an entirely new provision that didn't exist in the initial proposal. Another one, um, still on on that aspect of uh, consultation and and partly on the um, assurance report is the fact that the company will now have to consult uh, the employee representative bodies, both on the content of the sustainability report, but also on the choice of the auditors before the sustainability report uh, is being uh, published. And those two provisions were introduced to satisfy the needs and expectations of a broad range of stakeholders um, that were worried that the initial proposal would actually not be enough to cover what they expect from uh, from this directive. And so what kind of entities will be subject to producing such a report? So very important aspect indeed. Uh, and here again, there uh, the initial uh, provisions of the, the proposal have been confirmed, but they have been complemented by something that is entirely new. Uh, so maybe let me let me start with uh, what's new. Um, will be subject to reporting obligations uh, in compliance with European standards, uh, non-EU companies, and and that is really uh, entirely new in the in this uh, version of the directive. So, provided those non-EU companies meet two conditions, the first one is that they will have to generate more than 150 million euros of turnover per year in the EU, right? So that's turnover generated within the European Union. And the fact that they have at least either one subsidiary or a branch, and in case it's a branch, uh, the branch has to generate uh, more than 40 million euros of turnover in the EU, again. Um, and of course, a subsidiary or a branch located in the EU, right? And and the objective of this uh, new provision is to make sure that non-European companies that have a certain weight uh, in the European market are not importing in the EU behaviors and impacts and risks that would be considered, uh, you know, harmful in Europe, but would go below the radar just because they are being imported by non-European companies, right? So that is entirely new um, and and uh, was actually subject to uh, a lot of discussions uh, during the uh, the political negotiations. And, and just uh, as a reminder, um, for uh, the the bulk of the companies that are in scope of uh, of the CSRD, we're talking about European companies um, that are either public interest entities. So here we're talking about companies that are listed on a European uh, regulated market. And that includes possibly uh, listed SMEs, so not just the large ones. Um, and it also includes systematically important financial institutions and insurance companies. Sorry for the technical terms. I won't go into the details, but those who are concerned will recognize themselves. It's uh, a commonly used uh, terminology. So those um, public entities and also large unlisted companies 
large being defined as exceeding two of three thresholds that are having more than 250 employees, uh, generating more than 40 million euros turnover, and having uh, a, ba a total balance sheet uh, of more than 20 million euros, which in terms of financial terms is pretty low, which is why we're going to move to uh, uh, a situation where we currently have uh, something around 11 or 12,000 companies reporting uh, sustainability information in Europe to more than 50,000 companies, right? The scope uh, has been significantly uh, enlarged. You mentioned that the mandatory standards will be the European standards. But what about companies, European or not, operating outside of Europe and that are subject to other standards? Is there a risk of a multiplication of reports to be produced? It's actually a very good point. Uh, and that was uh, a major concern of uh, a lot of preparers throughout the, uh, the political negotiations. Um, but the, the CSRD's response is very clear. Um, just just to, to kill, uh, you know, uh, s s some uh, dreams about uh, using e exclusively international uh, standards. EFRAG has been confirmed, as I said already, uh, as the, uh, you know, technical advisor uh, to the Commission for reporting uh, standards. So uh, European standards will apply throughout Europe. But, and that's an important but, EFRAG's mandate also says that they have to develop European standards that will be as aligned as possible with international standards. It's not like we are brewing our coffee, uh, you know, uh, in a separate room and, and you're free to drink uh, another type of coffee outside of that room. No, it's actually, we, we have to develop standards that will be fit for European purpose because we have our proper political agenda. But those standards have to build on what already exists out there and what exists out there, whether that's, uh, you know, the uh, ISSB, the GRI or TCFD. I'm again using acronyms, but uh, pe people who are uh, familiar with uh, with report sustainability reporting know them. But basically, we're, we're building on what already exists that is already international. And it's really at the core of the mandate of EFRAG to make sure that European standards will be aligned with, with what exists already and was, what is being developed uh, you know, on, the, on the global uh, scene. So that's a very important element to, uh, to that question and that legitimate, again, concern about, you know, we'll have to uh, duplicate reports. And another important provision of, uh, of the directive is that the Commission will have to define a regime of equivalence of standards. Concretely, what it says, it says that um, EFRAG and the Commission will compare, you know, what international standards require versus what is being required by the European standards. Uh, what are the differences? Can we leave with the differences, right? And that is really um, key because that equivalence regime will be one of the tools to ensure and to avoid that duplication uh, of reports for either for European uh, companies, as you said, that would operate in the US, for example, or those European companies that have a branch in, in the EU and generate and cross those thresholds. Um, I think the sense, uh, the direction of travel is really as much as possible one single report. And an important detail, it's not that much of a detail, by the way, um, the European standards are a lot more demanding Um, than what we see emerging on the international stage. So whoever will be compliant with the European standards by construction 
will probably be more than compliant with whatever exists uh, elsewhere. So it, it does remain a concern, but it's a concern that has been addressed by the directive. And there are commitments to uh, develop tools that will help companies manage, uh, manage that risk. I think our listeners would be interested to know about the timetable for the implementation. What can you tell us about that? Definitely, they should be interested in this because it's a very important component of, of the directive. Um, and actually, it's one of the reasons why I think we can be satisfied with the compromise. Um, because the original timetable has been uh, shifted and delayed by a year. And it is now also being phased in uh, to take account of the fact that not everyone is starting from the same uh, starting point. So the first companies who will have to report um, CSRD compliant reports are those that are already subject to uh, reporting obligations. Uh, and they will have to publish their first report in on the fiscal year 2024, which means they will actually and effectively uh, publish their reports early 2025. Concretely, it varies from one country to another uh, throughout Europe because uh, each member state, uh, you know, define who has to comply with those uh, existing obligations in a different way. But more or less, we're talking about listed companies um, that have more than 500 employees. So again, I would advise um, people uh, listening from, uh, you know, a number of different countries throughout Europe to go back to what is already in place uh, in, in their country. But that's more or less what we're talking about. So first uh, implementation year for the bigger ones uh, on 2024. A year later, so on year 2025, with reports published early 2026, we're talking about all of the new entrance uh, into the uh, CSRD scope. Uh, so we are talking about unlisted large companies. And you'll remember uh, uh, it's those companies that meet two of three thresholds. Uh, again, a uh, shortcut to uh, illustrate, we're talking about companies that have between 250 and 500 employees, right? So they have an extra 12 months to, uh, to be ready. And the last to kick in will be the listed SMEs, so the smaller ones. Um, that will have to publish their first reports uh, on the financial year 2026. And for them, and exclusively for them, that doesn't apply to, uh, to the other two categories, um, there is, and that's a new provision of uh, the directive, an option for those listed SMEs to opt out of the first year implementation in 2026 and delay by up to two years to uh, publish their first report on, on um, the financial year 2028 as long as they explain why they are making um, this choice. And the reason for that delay uh, by one year of the, uh, the first implementation year is the fact that um, in, in the original proposal, uh, the first set of our standards uh, was to be adopted in October this year, so October 2022, for first-time implementation in 2023. So, one, it was a bit shorter period of time to be ready. Second... EFRAG and the Commission won't be ready to adopt those standards uh, in October this year. Uh, so the, the goalposts for adoption of the standard has been pushed back to June 2023, uh, which then, you know, um, uh, has uh, that, that consequence that uh, the first time implementation will be, uh, will be 2024. So to conclude, what would you recommend that companies do now to ensure they meet this deadline? 
It's it's a very good uh, question. Uh, in in a few words, uh, don't wait for those standards to be final and published in June 2023 uh, to to get uh, moving. First, uh, there are already exposure drafts uh, of those standards that will give you a good idea of you know what what's the direction of travel and and what the expectations are. And even for the bigger companies that will be the first one to publish in 2024, who already do report that kind of information, um, they still need to uh, provide a, a gap analysis just to, to assess, you know, uh, what needs to be improved and how to be uh, compliant with the uh, the future uh, standards. Um, and that will also include uh, probably redoing some uh, of their uh, materiality assessment. And that takes time. You you can't process all of this in six months between June 2023 and, and Jan 2024, which is not when you produce the report, but you have to have all of your systems uh, plugged in to collect the information throughout the year to be then ready to produce your report uh, by the end of the year. So start now. Don't don't wait for the final uh, standards uh, to be out there. Um, and for those who have a little bit more time because they, they come second or third, um, by construction, they come second or third because they don't report anything uh, today. There are very few companies actually, uh, you know, reporting voluntarily. So for those who will have to start from scratch, having an extra 12 months is actually not that long a period of time to uh, do what it takes. Uh, I would advise here again to, uh, you know, to start now to look into uh, the standards uh, get familiar with, with what will be uh, the expectations um, and beyond the reporting, uh, you know, considering whether you have the proper uh, sustainability strategy, the governance that goes along with that. Uh, do you have the right reporting uh, systems and tools? So start now. Don't don't wait for uh, like don't waste the extra 12 months uh, you have available. Uh, clock, clock is ticking and you, you should start now. And, and for all of them, uh, one final recommendation, I think, would be um, don't try to find solutions by yourself. Like, go out there. Uh, there are tons of other people asking themselves the same questions you will be asking yourself. Uh, go through your professional networks. Talk to your peers in, in the sectors you operate in. Uh, talk to external uh, consultants. Pe some people have knowledge. Uh, we don't have all of the answers to all of the questions, but it all, it's always easier to solve uh, the problem when you're you know, uh, a bunch of good uh, people around the table. So don't try to find uh, the solution uh, um, just within your teams. Uh, go out there and engage uh, with with uh, with all your stakeholders. Thank you, Maud. I think it was extremely useful for our listeners. Do you have any final advice? Maybe one last thing I haven't touched on yet, uh, which is uh, not insignificant, um, the directive has to be transposed into national law by each member state. Member state will have 18 months to do so, uh, which means that uh, in, in any given uh, country, uh, you should see domestic law by end of 2023 or very early 2024. You must pay attention to that because this is what's going to define the rules uh, of the game in your country. It can't be significantly different from uh, the directive because uh, actually member states have very little room for maneuver. But, but, you know, devil is in the details uh, and it's important to check uh, what will ultimately be in your national law. In any case, uh, this is something that Maza will be monitoring and we will, uh, you know, cover those aspects uh, in, in due time. Why not in a third podcast on, uh, on the CSRD? 
Um, and in the meantime, uh, we will be uh, publishing our annual um, benchmark on uh, non-financial uh, reporting, which is uh, a good read. And we will be talking about those uh, changes introduced by the CSRD in that barometer. Um, and there will be uh, further events, uh, you know, after summer break, uh, when we all uh, collect some more strength and we can dive into, uh, you know, the uh, implementation of the CSRD and the uh, future report European sustainability reporting standards. So uh, I think that's it. That's already a lot, probably. Thank you for joining us, Maud. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Let's Talk Sustainability. To keep up with the series, subscribe on your favorite podcast app or go to mazar.com. <laughs>